0: What up everybody, so good to be back, it's been four years, and uh, you're right, I don't have COVID, I took my test, it was negative, I've taken like four tests in the last two weeks, and uh, I think everybody here is negative, right? You know what that means? That means you can turn to your neighbor right now and just cough into their mouth, (laughs) because that's what we've been waiting to do, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I also find that when we talk about being negative and having our shots, it, it feels as though we're puppies, doesn't it? It's like, you know, we just got a new puppy and he's got all of his shots. I just feel like I've been to the veterinarian and uh, I don't know what that means, but it's how, it's how I feel anyway. Uh, I want to say it is really, really exciting to be back uh, here in England. It's a huge honor for me to be here. Um, just so you know, I pastor a vineyard church in Campbellsville, Kentucky, which is essentially the exact opposite of this, right? Uh, I, I live in a very rural place, super small town, and so it's exciting for me to come to experience your culture, but also just to have restaurants and things, <laughs> you know, that's great. Uh, the other thing I do for the vineyard is I lead vineyard worship for Vineyard USA, so I'm like, I'm like, I'm like the American version of Harmony. So shout out to Harmony. Why don't we all do this? We're just gonna give Harmony a high five. You ready? One, two, three. That was for you, Harmony. Uh, that's, that's also one of the things I do, but uh, it's just a real pleasure to be here and to get to experience the presence of the Lord with you and to do worship and to preach the good news to you and then to do some ministry. I'm, I'm very, very excited about what God wants to do this weekend. Okay, so here's what I want to do. I'm going to tell you what I want to do this afternoon, and then maybe this evening and tomorrow morning, okay? Because I think I'm speaking with you like three times. So this is either going to be real good for you, or it's going to be really bad. Um, Here's what I want to do this afternoon. I want to talk to you about resurrection this afternoon, and I want to go go 30% theological. Is that okay? Can we just say, can we say we're going to press into something somewhat theological, and then at the end of today's message, I'm actually going to preach the gospel to you, okay? How many of you know that even after you become a believer, you need to have good news preached to you, right? So we do that. Uh, This evening, I want to talk to you about the mystery of God's kingdom a little bit. I want to talk to you about the ways in which God is at work, but oftentimes we don't see. And then tomorrow morning, I want to talk to you for a few minutes about having a vision for your life, about having a plan for your life. Is that okay? All right, here's what I want to do this afternoon. I want to talk to you about hope and I want to talk to you about resurrection. The title of today's message is, Hope is Another Word for Resurrection. Hope is the theme for this weekend. You saw the hoodie. We've got hoodies with the word hope on it. That's how you know we're serious here this weekend. Like we've, we've got beanies. We've got things for you to wear. But hope is the theme this weekend and hope is a fruit of the Spirit. Not only that, but it's one of those things that Paul says will remain. Isn't that right? Faith, hope, and love, these things, they're gonna continue on. But when we talk about hope, one of the things that we normally communicate when we're talking about things we're hoping for Ironically is this, we often communicate this idea of uncertainty, don't we? When we talk about things we're hoping for, what we really mean is like wishful thinking. Isn't that right? Like, I hope I hope someone will give me a million dollars. I hope that my kids will grow up and not be axe murderers. I hope, you know, fill in the blank. We could play this, we could even do this together in the room, right, you know? all the things we hope for. But isn't it true that when we talk about hope in the common cultural sense, what we're talking about is uncertainty? Well, here's what I want you to know from the biblical sense and from the Christian perspective. Christian Christian hope is not things we're uncertain about. Christian hope is the thing we're absolutely most certain about. This is what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, he says, so prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all of your what? Put all of your hope. Some, there's two people who can read in this room. This is going great. I'm the one who's from Kentucky. I was the one who was nervous about that. Put all of your hope. In the gracious salvation that what will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. I want you to notice that in this scripture, Paul is connecting hope to things like salvation, to the resurrected Lord. And he's also connecting it to things that will come. Not things that might come, not things he's wishing will come, but things that will come. Hope in a Christian sense is that which we are most certain on. You can bank your life on it. Here's what I found, and maybe the reason we're doing this conference the way we are this weekend, hope is what we need today. Isn't it what we need today? What a time to be alive. What a a moment to be a human being. How many of you know that the world we live in right now, it needs some hope? We're 20 months into a global pandemic, maybe 21 months. Life is completely different. Not only that, there are ways in which the world is never going back to the way it was before. You know, some of us in the room, some of us in the room are, are we're, we're hanging on to this idea. Maybe it'll all just snap back, you know, maybe in another month, it'll go back to what it was before. And, and I don't mean to be the bearer of bad news, but I just want you to know, whatever that world was before the pandemic, it's never coming back. Like the world has just shifted. Even once COVID is gone, there have been fundamental changes to the way that we think about who we are and what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be alive in the world, what it means to be gathered. Institutions have changed. Social structures have changed. People are working from home more than ever before. Everything is just different. And I don't think that rubber band is going to snap right back. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And how many of you know that when there's change, there's loss, and when there's loss, there's what? Grief. We're living in a moment when the world needs hope. In the past 20 months, people have gotten sick at a scale that I've never seen before in my life. And I bet most people in this room know someone who got really, really sick. And maybe some of you know people in this room. Maybe some of you know people who have died. You know, people, people in my world died in the last 20 months, died from a virus that was completely novel, as they say. Not only that, but but maybe you didn't experience actual death. If you're in this room, you didn't, praise the Lord. But maybe we experienced the death of plans. Maybe, maybe things got postponed. How many of you saw people who had weddings that were postponed, you know? Or maybe they had a wedding with, with eight people illegally, you know? It's like, well, how did you get married, you know? Uh, my, my oldest son, he didn't get a proper graduation. He didn't get a proper graduation, they let them dress up in their little caps and gowns after high school, and they just made them run through a room really fast with no one else in there. It was the most odd moment ever. And, and also, he didn't, he didn't get the gap year that he had planned. I was, I was going to send him to Maine to work at a studio for a year, and then he was going to go to Sweden. And he, all, these, all of it just got annihilated. Anybody in here have plans that got ruined in the last 20 months? Yeah. And it hasn't just been COVID either. There have been other types of social upheaval. In my country, the United States, we had our George Floyd moment. We saw a black man choked to death on camera by a police officer while he was crying out for his life. I, don't, I, don't, I know that we live in two different countries, but I think you're aware of the fact that that shook our country. And it baptized us right back into this This racial reckoning. And if I'm correct, this had resonances here too, didn't it? Yeah. Like the past 20 months have been unbelievable. Worldly systems of oppression and injustice are being questioned. Not only that, but in my country, we've been living through a tremendous time of political partisanship. It's literally been brother against brother. And and one of the things that people have asked me, especially since I've been here in the UK... They get me to the side and they're like, hey, is it what we see on TV? (laughs) I've gotten that question at least like eight times. So I've been in the country for three and a half days. Everyone's like, is it what we see on TV? Yeah, it really is. It's like that plus 10, you know, just whatever you think it is, add to it, you know? And then globally, globally, we've seen authoritarian regimes come on the rise. And sometimes sometimes it seems like, the church seems to be standing in the way. You know, in the last 20 months, some people have begun to think, you know, the church is not helping very much. They're actually standing in the way and rather than leading the charge for a better world, like the church is actually a stumbling block. People have lost their, their faith or their trust in institutions. Some people have lost their faith and their trust in church and leaders. And in some, in some instances, people have just straight up lost their faith. How many of you know friends that used to come to church with you and they've just disappeared in the last 20 months if you're a pastor or leader one of the things that's really common right now you know you've regathered and you look up and there's like half of half the people that used to be here and the people who are in the room who who are they (laughs) like we had a pretty good Sunday at my church last weekend we it was like Everything was kind of fully. We used to have two slam-packed services. Now we have one service that's like pretty full, right? And I got up to preach and I'm really excited because the room's full again. And then I look at my wife and I mouth to her, who are these people? (laughs) And you're excited because there's people there and you're excited because there's new people, right? But the thing that sits under it is, what about the people who we did church with for 15 years? Where did my friends go? You know? Yeah, some of us just lost some things and maybe maybe you're here this afternoon and if you were honest, if you were honest, maybe, maybe you've been filled with doubts and questions, you know, maybe you haven't even verbalized it to someone, maybe it's like the secret you've been holding, maybe you've even been raising your hands in worship and you've been singing Let your kingdom come like we were a moment ago. Maybe you've been singing what a beautiful name it is, but on the inside, you're like, I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot of things hanging around. But here's what I want to say to you this afternoon. We don't have to lose heart. We don't have to lose heart. And here's why we don't have to lose heart. Because we're resurrection people. We're resurrection people. The world is losing heart. The world is becoming more polarized. The world is becoming more team centric. The world is becoming more deadly serious. And anytime you're in an atmosphere that's becoming increasingly serious, you can know this other thing as well it's increasingly anxious. Anxiety is always partnered with seriousness. In a place where people aren't laughing, in a place where there's not joy, there's increased anxiety every single time. The world is becoming increasingly serious. There's a brutality that's happening around us, but we're going to make it. And here's why we're going to make it, church. We're going to make it because we're resurrection people. We're going to make it because we're Christians and we believe the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus that in the very place of death, in the very place of disappointment, in the very place of pain and loss and grief, and what seems to be an abrupt end to things that were working in those very, very places, God is bringing new life. This is the gospel message, and this is why we will make it. This is our story. I want to read you a passage out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you want to open your phones, you can do that. (laughs) Who has a Bible? What's a Bible? Yeah. I just want to read you a few verses here verses 12 through 23. And let me just tell you what's happening here. Paul's just addressing some people who are like, I'm not sure there's any resurrection. This is what Paul says. He says this, But tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection from the dead? For if there is no resurrection from the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. Paul's not mincing words here. He's not saying, you know, if there's no resurrection, it's okay. Just try to be good and don't have sex with your girlfriend and everything will work out in the end. Right? Like, at least try to be moral, right? Nope. That's not what Paul's saying. He's saying, if Jesus isn't raised from the dead, forget all of it. And we apostles, we'd be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection from the dead. And if there's no resurrection from the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you're still guilty of your sins. In that case, All who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we're more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest. Underline that. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as in death came through the world, into the world through a man, now resurrection from the dead has come Through another man, just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. There's an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest, underline that word harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be be raised when he comes back. Paul's addressing people who have questions. I just want you to know, I have questions all the time. They're having questions about resurrection. Folks had begun to mock this idea. After all, how could one believe such a thing, given that the world is in such bad shape? Aren't you glad to know that, that the things that Paul was living through, you know, they're not foreign to us. We, we're in good company. You know, people have questions about the world. It's in such bad shape. Like, how can, how can this Jesus story be true if the world is in such bad sh- shape? It's not just a first century question. It's a question for now. Uh, Many people can't formulate that question in their minds. Not that exact question, but people are asking, they're asking for hope. They're asking, where is hope? They're asking, why should we have hope? Maybe even people in this room and certainly people at our churches and most assuredly our neighbors and the people that we go to school with. And here's why we can have hope. Because Jesus is alive and he's reigning. I want to give you three implications for resurrection this afternoon. Three implications. Number one, the first implication for resurrection is this. We do not have to play denial games. Even in the midst of trying times, just like the ones we've been living through, the ones it feels like we're coming out of. Resurrection, resurrection means this. We do not have to play denial games, we do not have to have denial strategies. Here's why, because the risen Christ was stone cold dead. And having hope, being a Christian and having resurrection life doesn't require you and I to pretend that nothing bad is happening. Like having real hope, like certain hope in the work of God, certain hope in the resurrection anchoring our souls into the resurrection Christ, it means that we don't ever have to play denial games because Jesus was actually dead. He wasn't pretend dead. He wasn't wasn't faking. He wasn't a theater major. He was actually dead. And as a Christian, we can have hope and yet still be in a moment and say, this is a hard moment. Uh, This is a painful moment. This is a time when I've experienced loss. Uh, We don't have to take up, name it and claim it, word of faith strategies. If I could put it even clearer, Uh, we don't have to take up these, these, these Christian ideologies that go something like this. Oh, uh, we just, we should not talk about the bad things. You know, Uh, don't even, don't even, don't even say it because if you say it, you, you empower it. That's actually not a, that's not a Christian thought. That's superstition. Christian hope is that we can we can can live into the realities of our life while also hanging on to the fact that Jesus Christ has overcome the world. It means we don't have to put on amber glasses and pretend that everything is sunny. And neither do we have to resort to grim doom prophecy motifs. What do I mean by that? Things like this. When Christians say, oh, all of this has happened because some Christians voted the wrong way. So on the one hand, on the one hand, some of us just want to play denial games and pretend like, oh, nothing is wrong. Uh, the last 20 months haven't been difficult. Everything's been great. Praise the Lord, you know, and we just sort of like fake it. And then on the other hand, sometimes we resort, resort into this other strategy, which is like, oh, the world is bad because, because some Christians got their politics wrong or or the, world, the world's going to hell in a handbasket because... Because someone let their kids dress up like Harry Potter on Halloween. Or or someone someone forgot to pray and instead went to brunch, you know? Someone just, you know, the reason the world is in bad shape is because all the Christians, they just didn't go to church on Sunday and they went to brunch and they had poached eggs. You know? Here's what the resurrection means. means. It means we don't have to play denial games. And here's what that means. It means... You don't have to to deny your humanity. You can bring it to God. You don't have to deny that this has been a difficult moment. You don't have to deny that some of this has been very sad. Some people in this room are actually very sad. Some some people in this room are probably battling with depression, and this might be the the weekend to just name it. Because hope wants to break into those places. Nobody in this room has to Jesus-juke anybody. Some of you are like, what's that? (laughs) Look it up, kids. (laughs) Here's the other thing it means. It means that nobody in this room has to pretend they have more faith than they really do. You, You could actually say, you know what? I'm low. I'm low on my faith meter. Resurrection allows for it because Jesus was actually dead. And all four Gospels put that story in the Bible. It's one of the reasons I actually believe the Bible because there's all these stories in there that like, you're like, why would they put that in there? Number two, implications of resurrection. This is a big one. This is what Paul is saying. What has happened to Jesus is happening and will happen to the cosmos. I had you underline those words harvest. It's interesting that in 1 Corinthians Chapter 15, Paul uses the word harvest twice in reference to Jesus. He says he's the first of a great harvest that will come. He's the first of a harvest that will happen. And so what this means is that what happened to Jesus is happening right now, and it will happen to the whole cosmos. Jesus is the first of a great harvest. Let me just tell you a story. So I grew up in Kentucky. Kentucky's rural. It's like, it's like horse farms and agriculture. And when I was a kid, I grew up on a strawberry farm. And it was as idyllic as you think it is. It really was. Uh, My house, as a kid, it was surrounded by fields of strawberries. And here's what would happen every single spring. Well, before I tell you that, uh, how many of you have ever gone to a strawberry patch or a strawberry field? How many of you have ever grown a strawberry at your house, picked it, and eaten it, and thought, I don't know what this is, but it's not what you get at the grocery store. Anybody ever had that experience? You're like, this is a hundred million times better than whatever is at the grocery. Have you ever gone to like an apple orchard and picked an apple off of a tree and eaten and gone, I don't know what they're serving at the grocery store, but it's garbage, right? Yeah. So like you just have to have that image in your head. So I grew up on this strawberry farm and here's what would happen every spring. There would be acres Of little strawberry vines out and the first thing that would happen is they would turn green and then the second thing that would happen is they would have these little blossoms these little these little white blossoms with a with like a little yellow center and there would be honeybees out there you know because you need them biology I have no idea about any of this anyway what what happened next is all of those little blossoms would turn to these hard little green berries. And there would just be millions of them out there. And then us kids, all my cousins, I grew up with my cousins. That's a very Kentucky thing as well. Like we, we have a lot of cousins. And we, we would go out into the strawberry fields after those green strawberries had been there for a week or so. And we would start walking up and down through the strawberry fields. And what we were looking for is the first ripe strawberry of spring. And if you found it, you ran for it and you didn't share it with your other cousins. You just, you grabbed that strawberry, the first red one. There's like one red one in a sea of green ones, right? And you would pick it and you would eat it. And you're like, you're like, what is this? What is this deep magic? You know, it's very Lord of the Rings. I don't know. What is this? We've been eating these terrible strawberries all winter, and now we finally have something that's amazing. You'd eat it. And then this, this sunshine would enter your heart. And, and I, after reflecting on this after several years, I realized that the sunshine was, well, there's two, two kinds of sunshine that would enter your heart. There was, the first bit of sunshine is just, this is the most delicious little berry I've eaten in I don't know how long. But the second bit of sunshine was this, that if there's one ripe strawberry in this field, there's about to be millions. This is what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He's saying Jesus is the first ripe berry of spring, and we can put our hope in him because if there's one, there's going to be an entire cosmos-sized crop. That resurrection is going to begin with Jesus, and it's going to spread, and it's going to spread, and it's going to spread, and it's going to touch every single thing. It's going to touch every single person in this room, every neighbor you have, every neighborhood, everyone you've ever gone to school with. It's going to touch the trees. It's going to touch the rocks. Everything is going to be made right, and some of you might be thinking, well, Adam, that's a, that's a nice story. It doesn't feel true, Doesn't and it doesn't seem right. Well, let me shift metaphors. Can I mix metaphors with you for a moment? We're moving out of the strawberry field. How many of you, how many of you stay up for New Year's Eve? Anybody here stay up? Like, You're know, like, I got to stay up to New Year's Eve because I want to kiss someone. <laughs> I don't, do you have that tradition here? That's why I stayed up as a kid. I was like, dude, young man is like, I'm, I'm here to get a kiss. But how many of you have stayed up on New Year's Eve and like you're, you're, you're doing the things, right? Like you've, you've got whatever the TV show is. You've got some music on. You've invited friends over. Uh, we, we, make, we make something called sausage balls. I'm sure you don't. They're just as weird as they sound, but they're utterly delicious. And it's one of those things. You eat them until you just feel horrible, you know? But, but here's what happens on New Year's Eve. Um, everybody, everybody is like doing whatever they're doing. Maybe they're playing at my house. We'll like play some card games and stuff. We invite the neighbors over. We've got some music on and the kids are going bananas and the little kids are getting really grumpy, you know, and then, and then. At about 11:59, everyone sort of gathers together, right? And at least in the United States, we we watch the ball drop. I, you, know, I, you probably don't even know what that is. It's as dumb as it sounds. Okay, it's like in New York City, it's a thing. But we all gather, and at 11:59, we're all kind of gathering. We're waiting for, you know, we're waiting for the stroke of midnight, right? And then it's like, woo! It's a new year because. Anything can happen, right? It's a brand new year. All of our sins are forgiven. I, I have a perfect streak reading my Bible now. I haven't. Yeah, it's, I'm killing it, you know. It's like I'm on this thing. But but then after, after the clock strikes midnight, then it's like 12:01, and then everybody's like looking at each other and they go home. But, but here, here's the point. How, how many of you know? How many of you know that at that at 11:59 How many of you know that at 11.59, it's the same amount of dark as it is at 12.01? Right? How many of you know 12.01 doesn't feel any different than 11.59? What am I talking about here? Uh, Some of you are like, oh, Adam, that's a nice little story about the strawberries and Jesus. (laughs) That's a nice story about the strawberries in Jesus and about hope or whatever, but man, it doesn't, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel real to me. How many of you know that it's the same amount of dark at 1159 that it is at 1201? And how many of you know that 1201 doesn't feel any different than 1159? But how many of you know that 1201 is a brand new day? Here's the good news, church. We're living in 1201. We're actually past that a little bit. This 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 new life resurrected jesus who is currently ruling the cosmos. This has been going on for a minute and it might still be dark outside and the world might still be a place where pandemics happen and the world might be a place where social injustice is still at work and the world might be a place where there's sadness and there's grief. The world might still be a place where where you've experienced real loss that you can actually talk about and you don't have to deny. The world might be that sort of place, but here's what I want you to know. It is not that other day. It is a new day and the sun is about to come up and this is why we can have hope. Something has changed. Number three, third implication. I'm going to speed up, okay? I'm sorry. Third implication of resurrection is this, that the worst thing is never the last thing. That's a quote from the author, Frederick bigner And what a thought. Isn't that a great thought? That if it's the worst thing, it's not the last thing. This is what resurrection means. Resurrection reframes every disappointment in our life. Whatever the worst has to offer, it's never the last thing. We've lived in a dark moment. It feels sustained. For some of us, it feels unending. And even as, even as the pandemic wanes and it begins to reside, the existential questions remain. Questions like, what do we offer the world in a moment of loss? Here's what we offer. We offer the Christian hope which is the story of Jesus. We just tell the story of Jesus, that death is not the last thing, that loss is not the final note, that pain is not the sustaining sour note in our human symphony, that there's a reality coming, that the world really is in 1201. I know it feels like 1159, but it's actually 1201. And you might be thinking, well, why is God taking so long? Anybody ever had that question? Like why like okay you did the thing now why god why are you taking so long i just want to offer you a couple things here number 1 i don't know <laughs> you were looking for an answer weren't you i have no answers we've been waiting 2000 years i mean here's the other, here's the truth maybe we've only begun to wait i don't know maybe he maybe god's about to wrap this thing up or maybe we've only begun to wait number 2 one of the things that i've seen in the gospels is this jesus never runs Read all four Gospels. One thing you will never see is you'll never see a running Jesus. He's never in a hurry. It's funny, but it's true. I noticed it one day and it bummed me out. (laughs) Dudes will literally be like this to Jesus. They will literally come to Jesus and be like, my daughter's dead. He's like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. They'll be like, hey, Jesus, your best friend Lazarus is sick. You should come to the house. He's like, great. I'll be there in three days. Jesus never runs. God's not in a hurry. The things that have us cranked, He's not worried about. I want to end with this. I want to end with a passage out of John chapter 20. And then I just want to preach the gospel to you for a minute. One verse. This is like the disciples, they've regathered, they've run away from Jesus because He's been executed. Peter said, I'll never leave you, Jesus. You know the whole thing, right? Like everybody will leave you, Jesus, but I'll never leave you, Jesus. You know, the whole thing. And Jesus gets crucified. He also gets raised up and the disciples, they've like, they're run and hiding. And in the Gospel of John, it says in two different places, they've got the doors locked. You know, they're really, what does that mean? They're scared. What are they afraid of? They're afraid of, Everything that's happened to Jesus, they're going to come and do it to us now, right? Lock the doors, guys. John chapter 20, verse 19 says this, that on Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And suddenly Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. I love this. This is my favorite thing out of the Gospels. The disciples had spent three and a half years with Jesus. They had walked everywhere. They had heard all the sermons. They had seen all the healing. They had watched Jesus kick demons out of everybody who was oppressed. They had seen all the stuff, right? They had seen things that you and I would only ever dream to see. Peter's like, I'll never leave you, Jesus. I'm your guy. Everybody had committed to Jesus. And in the moment that they most needed him and the moment that he most needed them, they ran away because they were afraid. You know, like, like Peter kind of like tailed Jesus a little bit close. And as the temperature got turned up, Peter was like, oh, I don't even know who Jesus is, you know, and and everything that Jesus said about Peter was true and and everybody fled and everybody ran away from him. And in this moment, in John chapter 20, the disciples are behind locked doors with fear. There's a sense in which they had lost hope. They had lost hope in whatever they'd been doing for the last three and a half years. They had lost hope in whoever Jesus was. They had lost hope in whatever story they'd been leaning into. And then suddenly behind locked doors, locked doors of anxiety, locked doors of fear, the resurrected Lord shows up. The resurrected out of the grave was once stone cold dead the day before, now very much alive with scars in his hands. He appears behind locked doors. And what are the first words he says to his traitorous disciples? Peace be with you. Those are the first words of the new dawn of the new age. This is the gospel in miniature. This is the gospel in a moment. How many of you know that if, if you had some friends and you ran around with them for three and a half years and you did amazing God stuff and you saw, like, you saw sick people get healed, you saw demonized people get set free, and if you saw uh, people with leprosy become clean, and if you saw amazing teaching, how many of you know that if you spent three and a half years with them and all of them pledged that they would stay with you no matter what, How many of you know that if they left you in your hour of need, if for some reason you got killed and then you got brought back to life and you could appear behind doors, how many of you know you might have a different attitude? (laughs) You might be thinking, all right, now we're going to settle the score, right? But instead, instead, Jesus shows up and he says to those disciples who had run out on him, peace be with you. To the very people who had lost hope, the resurrected Lord says this to you, peace be with you. Some of us in this room this afternoon, we've come through a crazy moment. Some of us uh, have been hanging on maybe by a tiny thread. Some of us in this room maybe feel like our faith has really struggled. Some of us have questions about what in the world happened in the last two and a half years? Like literally, what happened? Some of us like prayed, for stuff and it felt like maybe God didn't answer or maybe maybe we had hoped that you know we'd be at a different spot in our life than we are right now. Some of us in this room are leading churches and they're literally half the size that they were before. Some of us had best friends who we had done ministry for for years who are no longer even believers. Some of us are like, I am really, really low and I need something and I wanna tell you something this afternoon the resurrected lord the first ripe strawberry of spring he is alive it is no longer 11:59 it is actually 12:01 no matter how it feels and even if you're in your most hopeless place the resurrected lord will come and he will find you and he will speak a word of peace to you and he will not beat you up for your lack of faith he will not he will not crucify you because you lost some hope he will not He will not slap you across the face because you were weak. He will show up in the very place of your anxiety, in the very place of your fear, in the very place where you had let go and you will discover that he had been holding you. This is the good news. And this is why we do not have to lose hope. This is why we do not have to lose heart. Amen?